turn with me this morning to the 8th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 8. We mentioned that the parable of the sower is found in Matthew, Mark, Luke. We read together from, from Mark this morning. And uh, it is primary. It is essential. In Matthew, of course, it begins seven parables that are the parables of the kingdom and understanding. When you read all of those parables, you'll understand how the kingdom is brought into being and how it is sustained, fought, how God gives victory, the final victory that shall come. And so in Matthew, you have a very comprehensive teaching on the parables. That's not the case, of course, with Mark and Luke. But we have the parable of the sower, and uh, that, of course, is primary for us in certain other parables. So certain gospels have uh, things the other gospels do not teach us. There are, for instance, six miracles in the gospel according to John that are found nowhere else in the New Testament. We have different purposes for the gospel. We have the gospel of the king and the kingdom in Matthew. And uh, we have the gospel of uh, the Son of God. Uh, for instance, in, in John, we have the gospel of the servant of Jehovah in Mark. We have uh, uh, in Luke uh, the glorious teaching, of course, concerning Christ as he is the Son of Man and has come into this world and taken upon him our very human nature, accepting sin. As we know, God manifest in the flesh. I was thinking about meditation. You read a lot in the Psalms, for instance, about meditation. Uh, the psalmist says he will meditate upon the word of God day and night. Um, the apostle Paul teaches Timothy to meditate upon these things, the essential truths of the gospel, which means, of course, not only to do so once, not only to read and think about something one time, but to rethink, and to rethink, and to rethink. Uh, we don't simply read through the scriptures once in our lifetime and say, well, that's enough. No, we read through the scriptures continually. We read, as I mentioned in uh, our trip, on our trip uh, through the four Gospels and uh, become very beneficial. I've mentioned before there will be things we can learn that we've never seen before, like Arthur Pink when he was nearing the time leaving this world and uh, was in a coma but murmuring, saying things. You ever worry about you getting a coma when it's time to leave and you're going to speak things? Maybe you don't like somebody to hear, but what he was saying was, I never saw that before. I never saw that before. And so we need to rethink things. And my heart was drawn particularly to this parable of the sower again. And uh, <clears throat> why is it that there will be those who will seem to go for a while and then no more. Why is it there are those who seem to be genuine and real and yet they will forsake the things of God? And there are those who will remain, but they bear no fruit whatsoever to the glory of God. Of course, we're taught about these things in uh, the parable of the sower. And then I got, I've gotten word that since this pandemic 
COVID since it came and there were churches that did not meet for so long a period of time that when they did begin meeting again, much of the congregation never showed up. Very few returned. Why such a thing? Well, I, it's a heart matter. It's a heart matter. And the parable of the sower deals with that. So <clears throat> I want us to consider that this morning. And in Luke chapter 8, we'll read beginning at verse 4 and through verse 15. And when much people were gathered together and were come to him out of every city, he spake by a parable. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trodden down, and the fowls of the air devoured it. And some fell upon a rock, and as soon as it was sprung up, it withered away, because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it, and choked it. And other fell on good ground, and sprang up, and bare fruit an hundredfold. And when he had said these things, he cried, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And his disciples asked him, saying, What might this parable be? And he said, Unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to others in parables, that seeing they might not see, and hearing they might not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are they that hear, then cometh the devil, and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. They on the rock are they which, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no root, which for a while believe, and in time of temptation fall away. And that which fell among thorns are they which, when they have heard, go forth, and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life, and bring no fruit to perfection. But that on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it, and bring forth fruit with patience, that word patience signifying persevering through whatever difficulties may arise. So you need in your mind's eye a picture you need to picture a field that is to be sown with grain seed. It's going to produce like wheat. And uh, that field has a path around it where one takes a bag of seed and he scatters the seed through the field. Now, there may be a path around it. There may be paths through it depend upon, dependent upon the size of the field to be sown. And so this sower, he walks that path. Whatever sowers walk that path. Others walk the paths that call the wayside here in our passage. And uh, it becomes very, very hard. And that is the first thing that's likened to a hearer of the word by the Lord. There's a path that's beaten down. 
It's made hard by the footsteps of those who are sowing the seed, pulling in seed out of the bag and scattering it over the land. And so <clears throat> they walk this path and they, by that, make it hard. The more it's used, the harder the path becomes. So when the sower, when the sower throws the seed, some of that seed will fall out of the bag. He keeps walking. And the birds, which, of course, obviously have been there before, and they love to get that seed, uh, whatever seed happens to fall on that hardened path, those birds are ready as soon as he goes far enough away to swoop down and eat it, devour that seed which was incapable of penetrating the ground. And so <clears throat> nothing grows there. Nothing can possibly grow there. The seed is gone. And not only that, but the more that path is used, the harder it becomes. It's impossible for the seed to take root on that hardened path. So the Lord gives the meaning to his own, showing that there are those who hear the preached word, but they don't hear with the hearing of the heart. They don't hear with what the scriptures would call the hearing of faith. They hear it. It has no effect upon them. The Lord makes known that they become easy prey for the wicked one. Very easy. Those by the wayside, we learn in verse 12, those by the wayside are they that hear, then cometh the devil and taketh away the word out of their hearts lest they should believe and be saved. The adversary is very real. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, <clears throat> he's far more faithful to church than we are. He is wherever the word of God is proclaimed. He is there ready to snatch that word away. And so those who are like this wayside hearer they don't take the word to heart. They don't consider nor understand the seriousness of it. So they're insensible to their greatest need. They're insensible to the need of their lost soul. And so, as we read in Mark, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word. It's gone. As soon as the service is over, it's gone. Other things take the hearts. Other desires, other interests, far more important than the eternal concern of their own soul. Outside pleasures and pressures or plans pound their hearts and pounds the heart into insensibility and thus an incapability to receive the word. They don't receive it at all. It does not penetrate. It's taken away immediately. 
soon as the message is over. Their thoughts are elsewhere. Directed to anything else, whatever it might be, business, plans for some self-indulgence, elaborate trip, politics, sports, anything other than the solemn and searching message they've heard. How blessed when after a message it penetrates the heart and this word of God and the things of God become uppermost. But that's not usual. That's unusual. It seems especially in the day in which we live. You see, they're totally unaware that the wicked one who desires their eternal destruction has removed the only word through which they can be saved. God saves through the means of the gospel, of the gospel of the Son of God. Not only that, but the heart becomes even harder, like the ground as it continues to be walked upon, gets pounded and pounded and harder and harder. So this pounding of other things continues to the point of hardening the heart even further. Solemn. This parable. Then as the sower walks along the path, scatters the seed out onto the ground, there are different kinds of ground. There's a stony ground. The stony ground means that Beneath the surface is rock. It is shallow so that uh, when the seed is sown, it goes down so far, it can't root. It can't get through the rock so that it takes root and then springs up to bear fruit. It can't do that. It can't get through the rock. We, we call this one the stony ground hearer. And so in verse 13, the Lord says in, here in Luke chapter 8, They on the rock are they which when they hear receive the word with joy, and these have no root, which for a while believe, and in time of temptation fall away. And that's a scary thing. The sower continues to sow seed. Some of it falls on the shallow ground. The soil covers a hard layer of of rock. The thin layer of soil receives the seed, but it's very shallow, and the heat from the rocks will cause it to spring up. It'll begin to grow very quick because of the moisture and the seed and the sunlight that will bring the heat will cause it to grow up even faster maybe than the good seed. It can grow up very quickly. But the seed cannot take root down through those rocks. And the heat of the sun eventually then causes this premature growth to die out very quickly in a few days. I think this describes those who are moved by emotion, impulse. Quickly, excitable, easily moved to tears, or laughter, fast to believe the immediate impact of the powerful word, but it is all external. It's all outward. I was raised in a system that used much emotional appeal. 
and called it the gospel. And people would make quick professions that you could bring them to tears. You could tell them sob stories. You and uh, and it would move them emotionally. They would they would do anything. They would walk the aisle. They would come to the front of a church building and cry. And yet, as my wife, who was with me when we were in such a condition as that, would testify, they didn't last. They did not last. So, <clears throat> they were kind of like these stony ground hearers. Moved by emotion, impulse, quick to make a profession of faith. Immediately, professing to believe what was proclaimed. Now, that doesn't mean that someone can't be saved by God's grace when they hear the gospel the first time. But these the Lord is talking about, they think only of the blessings and joys of the gospel. Or they think of escaping hell and getting to heaven. That becomes the great motive. You go to heaven if you do this, if you believe this. Then you go to heaven instead of going to hell. And that becomes the great incentive for them. And so they want a release from fear of judgment. And under the ministry of the word of God, there can come an external fear, a fear of judgment. Judgment will come. It's coming. And there is a testimony in the hearts of men through the work of God's Holy Spirit that of the truth that's what God is proclaimed. So... They may trust that they maybe prayed the right kind of prayer. And generally what they were told to pray. Or they've experienced some comforting thought that if I do this or that, then I'll be able to go to heaven and I won't have to have this fear of judgment. So, yet all is outward. All is emotional. There's no real understanding of what it means to believe. To believe on. And to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. You see they've been moved by the bright side of things. All they want is a hope to get to heaven. They have no desire to bear cross themselves and follow Christ. They're just satisfied with an outward profession of faith that gives them, I would call a carnal assurance that they're going to heaven. That's our day. That's our day. Moved by the bright side of religion. They haven't counted the cost. They haven't pondered deeply what self-denial is all about. They have no desire to resist worldly enticements. They can go right ahead on those things. And that's where their real joy is found. In the world, in its entertainments, in the things of it. So difficult trials and oppositions. When it comes, because they have taken and professed to believe Christ, and to believe his gospel. They quickly are gone. 
the difficulties. They don't want those. All they wanted was the joys. They have no real consciousness of something. And this makes all the difference in the world. I've been a pastor long enough to have witnessed far more than once that maybe someone has some trouble in their life. Maybe they have some problem in their marriage. Maybe they have some difficulty they're facing, some sickness they're fighting with. And of course, they want help. Now, it doesn't mean the Lord can't use those things to bring somebody to come under and hear the Word of God and be greatly useful to it. But the majority of the time, they don't want Christ so that He will cleanse them from sin and set them on the path of holiness. They want Him to fix their problems. And if their problem is not fixed, they're not going to stay. They're not going to say. You see, Christ did not simply come to save us from our worldly troubles. He didn't come simply to save us from sickness. He didn't come simply to save us because we have difficulties in our home or on our job or some such. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He came to save sinners. And when one becomes conscious of sin and something of the horrendous nature of sin against God, and God convicts them of that, they will become grieved, sorrowful. Not because they're suffering some difficulty in the world, but because the greatest problem with them is their heart. They've sinned against the living God. They defied the very Creator. They've transgressed His commands. They've had no regard to Him or His truth. They have no real consciousness of the nature of sin until God begins to do a work in them. Sin makes no deep impact. It doesn't become loathsome to them and vile. But those who come under that work that brings them to the consciousness that they are sinners, that they deserve hell, they don't deserve heaven, that they're going to perish come in some way to say with Isaiah woe is me for I am undone lost heading for a judgment that is all consuming and I am a transgressor against the living God when one comes to know themselves a sinner and they begin hearing the gospel that God sent his only begotten son son of his nature, the son of his love into this world to save sinners that he saves sinners because he takes their place and bears their sins suffers more than any man ever suffered suffered the horrendousness of hell for those hours on the cross and the place of others suffers the wrath of God against sin though he'd never sinned 
And the horrendousness of the cross makes the realization of the awfulness of sin appear. And all at the same time, a wondrous redeeming love. A love that took their sins, bore their sins, and through him, God cleanses them from sin. He brings them to repentance from sin and to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Those will remain. So, sin became loathsome to them. The death of Christ, his shed blood, alone could cleanse it. But those who have no awful consciousness of sin, though they might stay around, yet in heart they revert back to the world and its self-seeking ways. Their immediate joy, which will go as soon as the afflictions come for the word's sake, they have professed to believe, was not what should have moved their shallow heart. Salvation doesn't generally begin with joy. I think the religious world in our day has lost sight of this, to tell you the truth. It doesn't begin with joy. It begins with sorrow for sin. A sorrow for sin that leads to genuine repentance without which no real joy can come. And it comes with the knowledge of a love that redeems from all sin and the gloriousness of it. Don't you, dear saint, love that passage we dealt with last Romans chapter 5? When we were without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Scarcely for a righteous man will one die, for adventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And to behold the wondrousness of that death. I can remember when I began walking with the Lord, that's about all I could think about. All I could think, Christ, the Son of God, holy, loved me enough to die in my place. Loved me with such an incredible love that he took my sins unto himself and he is my life and my salvation. God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not when we were good, when we were bad. Not when we were righteous, when we were vile sinners in the sight of God. And we're brought to recognize it. But in this parable, This one's profession of faith never took root in the heart. It was outward. It was transitory. But when the difficulties of following Christ come, self-interest again rules. And many, it doesn't require difficulties because the heart is always somewhere else. The desire 
the seeking is for something else. The joys then become that which they seek in the world, not from the things of God. So the word did not penetrate beneath a very shallow veneer. Quickly, this faith grew, but it wasn't a saving faith. It was external. Quickly, it would be gone. For a while, they might rejoice, thinking Christ took their place. But he or she has no true understanding that to truly belong to Christ requires that he or she must also have a cross to follow him and that the way of the cross leads home. Stony ground here. Then there's a ground, part of the ground is all cut down and the sower spreads the seed on this ground, called thorny ground, the seed here falls onto ground, not hard ground, it's not shallow ground, but it's been infested with tangled thorns, thorn growths, obviously cut down to the ground, but not rooted up. Still there. The seed on this ground, unlike that of the packed ground or the thorny ground, has a longer life. It begins to grow a little. But as Luke writes, brings no fruit to perfection. It has competition. From the yet thorn infestation, which, though cut down, was never uprooted still there the good seed begins to grow but all at the same time the stronger growth of the thorny weeds begins to grow as well at the same time the thorn weeds then take the nourishment from the soil they grow faster and above the beginning to spring seed they grow higher preventing the sun and the air to get to it the thorns wrap around it choke it out no fruit you know I think this is the most subtle of the three types of hearers in that they may never, like the first two, fall away. They might have a lifelong profession and keep up an outward appearance and attendance. But these are described in various ways in Scripture as the Apostle Paul to Titus in Titus 1.16. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny him, being disobedient unto every good work reprobate. The things of God aren't that which 
they desire. Or like the challenge that James gives in James chapter 2, verse 18, show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. You see, they have a kind of faith, but it's not a saving faith. Not the kind of faith that puts Christ and his kingdom above every earthly and temporary need or treasure. Either the pressures or treasures of the world and their life in it takes their heart. It takes their attention. It's that which they really want. And takes precedence over the things of Christ. Whenever the two are in conflict. The two things mentioned by the Lord that choke out the seed, the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches really covers a vast area. There are other places, of course, it speaks of pleasures as well. So the cares of this world, care in the biblical sense means anxiety, worry, inordinate fear of what may be. What's going to happen? What's tomorrow going to be? What dangers do we face? You can spend all the day long figuring out what dangers might be there tomorrow. We live in a dangerous world. Draws the attention constantly away from the things of God and the truth of God and the responsibilities that the Christian bears in this world. Draws the attention to constantly seek the things of the world. Real treasure, desire, ease, plenty, pleasure. And the things of the world will choke out a faith that should believe and act upon the simple command of Christ. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, what you need, will be added unto you. You know, we don't know what's going to happen with the economy. We don't know what's going to happen in this world. We don't know what's going to come. But I know this. The Lord Jesus has taught that if his kingdom is first and we seek it first, we do, need, do not need to be taken away with worry about what's going to happen. He will provide. He will guide. He will direct. In that passage in Matthew 6, 33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. He was talking about the worry, how we're going to survive, how we're going to make it, how we're... Well, how are we going to get what we need or desire in this world? The Lord says the heathens seek after those things. Your father knows what you have need of before you ask him. Sometimes we think we have need of far more than we really do. and The far more we have can be very detrimental to us. Seek ye first kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you the cares of this world 
covetousness. Covetousness is the desire for more and more of the world's goods. Taken up with the desire to enrich one's life in the world. And takes the heart and thus the attention and the time that should be given to serving Christ and others. You remember when one came to the Lord Jesus and said, Hey, Rabbi, of course, rabbis would settle certain matters. <laughs> My brother, get him to divide the inheritance with me. And the Lord says to him, A man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. not in this world or the things of it. One commentator wrote, these choke or smother the word, drawing off so much of one's attention, absorbing so much of one's time, that only the dregs of these remain for spiritual. It is impossible for them to bring forth the fruit that should characterize a truly born-again, regenerate believer. They're overtaken by the competition of other things, always pressing upon them that are greater than the things of God to them. No man, not simply should, no man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And so, we come to the good ground here. Here, where the ground was good, the seed would take root and bear fruit. Neither the preparation of this ground nor the proportion of it to the other grounds falls within the scope of this parable. In other words, we can't draw that one out of four will be saved who hear the word. We don't know that. That's not the point of the parable. But the condition of the ground corresponds to the condition of the heart of the hearer in this parable. The good ground hearer, unlike the unresponsive wayside hearer, or the emotional and transient character of the stony ground hearer, or the preoccupation of the thorny ground hearer, this one receives, retains, and bears fruit. The word has taken root in the heart. And fruit is born to the glory of God. And so, in verse 15, that on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. In the parable of the sower, if you read the Gospels, all three of the Gospels that have the parable of the sower, there's only one word that's used to describe the condition 
that brings about a true producing of genuine character, fruit. This hearer understandeth. They understand the word. And in its biblical usage, the understanding involves the whole of the inner person. It's not just an agreement of informed intellect. It involves everything that is in one. The word of God goes down deep into the heart of those who truly understand. It's firmly rooted there. It's retained and moves the whole life in a different direction. The opposite of what was said about the other hearers. That on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience, perseverance, under whatever difficulties might be in the way. The word of God becomes the supreme factor that guides and moves the new life in Christ. It's not that we simply feel better if we spend a few minutes reading it daily. It goes down deep into one's heart. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. Those whom God saves by his grace, they come to love the word of God. They come to love the ministry of the word of God. They come to desire it, yearn for it. Like David, meditate thereon. Think upon it. Put it into the heart. Well, I know only God can grant that by his work of grace. But the one who is truly in love with Christ loves his word and wants his word as the guide of their life because this is the way he directs us. He doesn't come to us now personally like he did to Paul. That's over. That's over. Anyone tells you Christ has appeared to them, they're liars. They're flat-out liars. I don't care how emotional the thing might be. God speaks to us one way now, through his word. And when one comes to recognize this is the word of God and they come to desire it above all in this world, oh, how love I thy law. It is my meditation all the day, said David. I always am taken away by that because David was the king of Israel. David had war on every hand. And yet read his psalms. Read the psalms of David. How he loved the word of God. Meditated upon God's truth. Thy word have I hid in mine heart. That I might not sin against thee. And what's the exhortation of Solomon his son? In Proverbs 4, 23, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. That's the seat of your understanding. That's the seat of your desires. That's the place that controls you. That's where the word of God is placed in regeneration. Down deep in one's heart, 
and the fruit borne by one with a renewed and good heart. It's not natural. It's supernatural in origin. It's the result and growth brought about by the implantation of the supernatural seed of God's word. It is the powerful word of God in them. It is the fruit of genuine salvation and genuine conversion. And it involves the fruit of goodness and righteousness and truth, as Paul wrote to the Ephesians. The fruit of true gospel testimony in life and live to the world. The fruit of self-sacrificial love for others. Always proceeding from the new life that must declare, not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. The new birth is never without its fruit, ever. Look in 1 Peter, chapter 1. In 1 Peter chapter 1. Notice beginning in verse 22. Seeing you have purified your souls and obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned, real, that means not put on, unfeigned love of the brethren. See that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. Where does that pure heart fervency come from? Being born again. Not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower there falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever, and this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. The new birth always produces fruit. It will put a love in your heart for the other. It will put a desire in your heart to be a help to the other, spiritually, to move them along as much as possible in the things of Christ. Even physically, if they have particular needs, God is not unrighteous to forget your work, labor of love, which you've showed toward his name, and that you've ministered to the saints and do minister, as in Hebrews 6.10. That means there was a giving out of what was one's own possessions to help others, and a desire for their spiritual advancement. It's been another experience and I guess I could talk about a little bit of experience since I've been in it about 50 years, <laughs> you know, so <laughs> it's been my experience that those who will become firm become concerned for others. They are takers in the world and they are givers. The takers won't stay. I can think of those and some of you may, that we've helped, that come, we've helped, we've sacrificed to help. They're gone. 
uh, I think of others who've come and they begin having concern for other people, concern for them, their needs, concern for the whole body of the church, concern that the truth will work in each one. And they're to help and serve. They're generally the ones that are going to be there. They're going to stay. It's fruit. The measure of this fruit depends upon what the Lord said using another metaphor in another place where there's only one condition given. The Lord Jesus Christ in John 15 speaks of him uh, as the vine, us as the branches, and he gives the one condition for bearing fruit. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him. The same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me ye can do nothing. You want to bear fruit, you get as close to Christ as you possibly can, and you stay there. And you yearn and yearn more and more for him. And you trust him. And you look to him. And you cry to him to teach him. Uh, to teach you of himself through his word. He didn't simply call us to come to us. Or to come to him. Because we were weary and heavy laden. He said take my yoke upon you. Learn of me. We're to abide in him. We're to learn of him. We're to love him supremely above all. And if we abide in him, he says, we'll bear fruit. We can't do it without him. The measure of fruit varies from one to another. Some 30-fold, as the Lord says, some 60-fold, some 100-fold. And surely the Lord is glad to be glorified in whatever measure of fruit is brought forth. But the reality is that no regenerate and believing soul is without fruit. All bear fruit who are truly in Christ. And it's through him alone and trusting him alone. If you have a vine and you have a branch coming out of that vine, that branch doesn't labor to bear forth fruit. It bears it forth because it's in the vine. And all the sap and everything needed comes from that vine. It's quite a parable, this primary one. It's one we should meditate upon, think about more than once. It is the solemn truth of God's word. It is the description of those who are real and genuine. And so, it's no marvel since we have four different types of hearers there, only one real, that the things of God can sometimes be so easily put away. And the things of the world take precedence for many.
Every one of us, we're one kind of, we're some type of hearer. Some type of hearer. Hard, hard-hearted has no impact. Doesn't go anywhere. The things of the world immediately take precedence. Stony ground? <laughs> Yay! I'm saved! Yay! I'm going to heaven! Difficulty comes along? Where are they? Thorny ground? The things of God either creep or quickly come in to take the heart, or the things of the world, pardon me, quickly come in to take the heart away. And the pleasures of this world and the activities and the things happening in this world. And yeah, we ought to be concerned about certain things happening in our world. But they're not to take precedence. They're not to engulf our whole mind and thought and desire. They're not to take what belongs to Christ alone. Either the worries of what may happen or the covetousness the desire for more and more that chokes the word. God grant us that good heart he was talking about. In regeneration, he takes away the stony heart and he gives a new heart. And that new heart has the word of God in it. And that new heart loves the Lord of the Word. And that new heart has a different direction. The life is transformed. And the things one used to love, they don't love it anymore. And what they used to hate, they've come to love. There's a real regeneration. May God be pleased. Bless the ministry of his holy word.